Um, this message is going to be a little bit uh, different today. Uh, think about it as grief therapy. Some of you are laughing, some of you are not real. Okay. Um, if you are human, you get angry. That's how it works. Um, it's a part of everyday life. You get angry when other people call in sick at your work when they're not sick. And you have a bigger load as a result. You get Your kids get angry about sometimes about you giving them the thing that they actually asked for. Uh, you get angry about other people's Facebook posts. Is anyone with me? Social media posts. Especially the ones about how wonderful their spouse is when you're going through the middle of a row with yours. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You, who knows you can scroll on your phone in anger? You kind of scroll down a bit and then you go down a bit more and then you go back up and metaphorically speaking, steam is coming out of your ears. Uh, your kids left that toy in the middle of the doorway again. I, uh, I have been regularly stunned. Uh, my, my sons don't do it as much anymore. I've got four sons. But when they were younger, like how many bikes can you lean against the front door to obstruct, obstruct entrance? And uh, this, uh, this one here, have you seen that, mate? Really into the shark stepping on a Lego. You stepped on a piece of Lego with bare feet. What about this one? This is a thing down in uh, Sydney. Uh, my friend told me about was uh, during the lockdown, people just got angry about other people not doing the right thing and not following the rules. Um, we are laid back Australians, are we? And yet here we are dobbing each other into the cops. Uh, interesting. Um, you can even be angry at something that someone did you in a dream. Who knows? Who's ever had that? You get up in the morning, you go, I'm filthy to that person. They didn't do anything. Right, but they did in the dream, and you kind of carry that into your day. Um, sometimes, here's, here's a classic one too. Like you can think someone else is angry with you, and so you get angry with them, only to find out that they were angry with you because they thought you were angry with them. Yeah. And then you're both kind of angry with each other, and no one actually necessarily started. You can get angry at people who don't get angry. That can be really frustrating. It's not right that you don't get angry. You should be angry. And I mean, I've only just touched on anger and parenting, right? Who was a parent here goes, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? You, you started out your life. This is kind of my story. I, I didn't think I was an angry person at all. Um, and then I had children. And I realised I was a very angry person underneath. Um, here's, here's what I want. Anger is about all of you. It's a, it's a whole person experience, including your body. Uh, some people, there's one particular person who will, uh, my name was, he'll remember just getting, he got so red in the face when he was getting angry. It was just so obvious that he was angry. It was like, man, like your head is going to pop off soon. All right? If you keep going, like it's, and you can see it's a pressure cooker like that. Uh, one of the one of the key things I think that Angus says is Angus says that something is not right. That's what it says. Uh, but the difficulty with anger is there's a whole bunch of other freight that comes with it that isn't just something is not right. Anger is a weird thing in a sense in our culture because it's kind of the only emotion men are allowed to have, and it's the only one that women aren't allowed to have. 
And uh, so it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic. You can guarantee that in a fallen world, anger um, is going to pop up. There's going to be lots of opportunities for it. Lots of places where it can get stirred up. So today, we just, we're going to slow down a little bit in James. Uh, and we're going to consider uh, just only three verses of James today. And, and part of the reason for me doing this today, um, there's two reasons. One is uh, James has been described as uh, kind of a, the Proverbs of the New Testament. So sometimes James just says things and it's kind of a bite-sized chunk and there's not kind of a big argument that leads into it and one that leads out of it. It just kind of... This chunk, and I think that's what we're dealing with today. Um, and the other thing is that I do want to be careful with the things that we're covering at the moment to make sure that you get as much help as possible. And we also, Peter needs to go shorter today. So all of those things kind of put together, uh, we're just going to do a small chunk. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like to open to James chapter 1 and start at verse 19. James 1, verse 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Alright, let's kick in. Here's the first point for the day. What does anger actually look, look like? And one of the things that happens when you think about anger is you think just about the explosive version wide and large. You know, it's kind of, if you, if you know the biblical story, you know, way back in Genesis 4, we've got the first murder where Cain kills Abel. Um, and, and Cain kills Abel because Abel offered a sacrifice that was accepted by God and then Cain's wasn't. And the text in Genesis 4 says Cain was very angry. And the result of Cain's very angriness was he killed his brother. And it still happens today. We still have explosive kind of violent anger where people do things to hurt each other and do things to kill each other. That's the thing. I mean, you could probably argue and almost every murder has got some anger actually going on in the middle of it. But here's the catch. Anger takes on lots of different forms. And anger can be hot and it can be cold. So let me give you a few examples of cold anger just to get you going. Here's one, silent treatment. Because we're going to talk to that person anymore. That's anger. And there's this one, judgmentalism. I, when I say to you that I didn't, didn't realise I had an anger problem until I had kids, you know what actually happened is uh, I realised that I had this cold anger and I was actually very internally, I didn't tell other people, but internally I, was, internally I was a very judgmental person toward other people. And kids come along, I'll give you this illustration, this is a um, Dave Powerson illustration, but if I took the lid off this bottle and shook it, what would come out of it? Water. Why would water come out of it? Because there's water in it. Okay, this is not a complex physics lesson. Alright? Water comes out because there's water in it. So when Peter gets shaken by having kids that press him, what comes out of Peter? Oh, it was always in there. It just needed to be tested. It needed to be shaken. 
this cold kind of judgmentalism that I had came out and expressed itself. Here's another one. I reckon anger is part of grumbling and complaining. And we could do a whole bunch of stuff on grumbling. Right? We just could. Right? But that's anger's operating in there. Life's not going the way it should be going for you. Irritability. You're just easily irritated. If you're easily irritated, you've got a problem with anger. If you're someone who gets themselves into arguments quickly, you've got a problem with anger. But it's kind of colder. Um, you can defensively withdraw in relationships. Right? You just can. That's that's kind of cold anger. And this one, cool. This is ice cold. I don't get angry. I get even. And there's a lot of people who do. That is that is anger. That's what it is. This one, you can ostracize ostracize people. You can exclude them. And here's here's, here's the long game of anger. Is bitterness, isn't it? What's bitterness? Bitterness is anger that's just hanging around for a long, long time. That on the left there, that's a, a good sample. Now you can probably think of others, but that's a good sample of how anger can be cold. You know what anger looks like when it's hot. It's 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 explosive. I mean, think Hulk, right? Um, the way you drive your car out of a meeting. Um, Something just punching stuff. It just hits stuff. Like physically, it just kind of comes out. It's like, I don't know if this has ever been you, but this has been me. I've been in situations where I go, I just want to punch him in the face. That's all I want to do. I want to punch him in the face. Um, what about this one? This is another example of kind of explosive anger is, uh, is yelling at people. And even just blowing up in their face. It's all right. You've done it now, right? You pull the trigger and now you're just going to get a gobble from me. Anger's happening in that very moment. You know, uh, more uh, hotter anger is like doggedly just going after it to, to get your own way. There's um, anger all over the place. Now, what, what goes on in anger? I think that... Um, I'm going to recommend his book a little bit later, but Dave Pallison's got a really nice kind of summary of the three aspects of every kind of expression of anger, and I think it's uh, I think it's really helpful. Here's, here's how it rolls, according to Pallison. You you identify a perceived wrong, uh, you disapprove of it, you uh, you're displeased with it, and you move to action. Pretty straightforward, right? This is kind of how it works. Something happens, you just go, that's wrong, I'm not happy about it, and I'll do something about it. Uh, this, I think, clarifies uh, helpfully what anger is. Well, how does anger work? Well, this is where it gets a bit more complicated. Um, I want you to, uh, if you were here last week at church, if you go back to what I talked about last week with temptation, remember the nature of temptation, it all starts from desire. Remember last week, I said to you that the de- desire in and of itself is not actually wrong, but desire goes wrong when it gets too big. It gets inordinate, it gets excessive, it gets out of size. Sometimes it goes bad because it's it's evil, but most of our problems in life actually don't come from evil desires, they actually come from inordinate desires. Desires 
that have gotten too big. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at the process of anger again and see if you can work out where it goes wrong. Because here's the bottom line. There are a lot of wrongs in our world. We live in a fallen world. There are a lot of wrongs and there are a lot of things that in, in a perfect sense, deserve some displeasure and we ought to do something about it. So where does it go wrong? Well, here's where Oregon goes wrong. Have a look at that text uh, above and below that arrow there. Where it goes wrong, where anger goes wrong is there is a switch in who is God and whose law needs to be obeyed. We dethrone God, we cease to be actors in his story and we pursue our other story. That's another way of saying it. You see, you can, hopefully you can see this in the way that anger works. It gets wrong because there's a switch in who the deity is and whose law actually needs to be obeyed. I mean, think about anxiety and desire. Sorry, anger and desire. It can be a real mess. Something wrong happens to us, we're against us. But somewhere in there, it gets loose because the God and the moral law get switched over. You see that? And now it's actually not about the crime that someone's done about God. It's about the crime that they've done against me. And I now become the judge to judge the person who's done the wrong thing. You know, we end up in unrighteous anger in the wrong place pursuing the wrong ends. That's kind of what happens to us. It isn't under God for him and on behalf of him. We easily in our anger become vigilantes who are on this crusade to make the world a fairer place for us. Isn't it? And we don't think that at the time. We've got to go, no, we're actually doing it for everyone else. I am performing a community service because that person is an idiot and someone needs to tell them. Here's what James wants you to know this morning. James wants you to know that your anger doesn't get you where God wants you to go. Your anger doesn't get you where God wants you to go. And this is exactly what James says in James 1 verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, here's, here's a tip for you. This is the, uh, you need a bit of, just a little bit of group therapy here for a minute. Um, here's a good general rule for you. If if you are getting angry, yeah, I'll come down here. This happens to me too, right? If if you're getting angry about something that someone did to you, it's almost never righteous anger. Yeah, it's it's. I would say, and I'm just leaving. Point zero 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 one of a percent possibility that it, it might be, but I actually think it's a hundred percent of the time. There's some unrighteousness in the way you're doing it. So here's here's the first suggestion for you. If you're angry because someone did something to you, you just want to stop at that point and just go, "Hey, uh, Peter, this is probably unrighteous." Straight off the bat, all right. You don't even need to think about this. Here's the default starting point. This is not a 50-50 thing. You start getting angry about something that's happened to you, it isn't 50% chance that it's righteous and 50% chance it's unrighteous. It's 
99.9999% chance that it's unrighteous. What are you doing? Now this is this is really difficult, right? The reason why this is really difficult is if you ask anyone who's angry whether their anger is justified, what do they say? What do they say? Yes. Always. I am on a crusade to rid the world of idiots. Right? Now, let me let me let's just let's just jump to something here. Now I don't it is I want you to know this, right? Do people do things that aren't right to you? Of course they do. Right? But you see the problem if you you know when we we're on that slide earlier is that the God and the moral law gets switched over. And and that's where it gets messy. And it's not that there isn't something that's been done to you that's un, unjust and not right. It just gets really messy in the middle of it. You know, Ed Welsh puts it this way. He says, anger specialises at indicting, that's an American word that we use in the legal system. We could just use the word convicting. Anger specialises at convicting others and is unskilled at self-conviction. That's true, right? Because you get angry and you get fired up about it and you've got the, the God and the moral law being switched over, you're right. You're right. You're like the rightest person in the room. Come on, let's be honest. You are the rightest person in the room. And what's actually happening when someone else does something to us, especially something that's unjust, is it can have the effect of blowing our desires up, we go back to last week, and making them too big. And we're getting angry about this thing that we think that we should want, that, that we want. Now, Here's a saying that the Sonic Girls say uh, in our house, right? Now, before I put it up, we do not say this to people when they're angry. But it is a saying at the Sonic Girl house. We, uh, we have four boys, so it's like, okay, well, we'll just deal with truth. All right, here's the saying. The angry person is the dumbest person in the room. Now, we've, we've had this conversation when no one's angry, right? Because I don't want to hear that you go home to your family and you say that to someone who's angry and then we've got some kind of legal action against us because someone's got a broken nose and a depressed cheek fracture, you know, because in the middle of someone being really angry, they went up to us and said, you know what, mate, you're just the dumbest person in the room right now. But this is what anger does, right? Anger, anger blinds you and it deafens you everything else that's going on around you. And this is the, the wicked irony of anger, is that in the middle of being angry, you think you're the smartest person in the room, but in reality, you're actually the dumbest person in the room. You're the person who's switched off the most to what's actually happening in that place. Now, how is this statement potentially helpful for you? Well, something can happen to you, and you can start getting angry, and you could just think, I remember Peter saying that the angry person is the dumbest person in the room. I've known to self. You're probably being really dumb right now. Okay? And when I say dumb, it's like you've just become insensitive to everything that else that's going on. And there could be some really, really, really important stuff going on in the room. Now, I want to read a section 
about Jonah, which illustrates this very dynamic, perfect. Um, Jonah, obviously we all know Jonah is the guy that swallowed by a big fish and then spat out. He got sent to a place called Nineveh to call the people to repent. And lo and behold, they repented. They turned around, they went in the other direction. And what happened to Jonah? Well, he got really, really angry about this. Right? So if you uh, can turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, I just want to read a section because I think it so perfectly illustrates uh, what I'm talking about here. Jonah 3. I'm going to start with verse 10. Jonah 3, starting verse 10. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Right? And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're, you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What's he angry about? He's angry that God's been kind to someone. That's what he's angry about. How angry is he? Well, so angry, he wants to die. Is that, have you ever been that angry? It's like, someone kill me now, all right? I just can't be here with these people. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And God asked him this amazingly helpful question in verse 4, and the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now, that's a good one. You can ask people at the right time in the right place. And sometimes, in fact, most times, you probably just want people to cool down a bit. But that's a good question. That's a good question for you to ask yourself when you get angry. Do you do well to be angry? Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade to him. Should see what became of the city. I reckon he's just wanting the fire and brimstone to come down on the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? What does the angry person always say? Yes. Which is exactly what Jonah says. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's pretty angry, right? Pretty angry. This is a classic case of the angry person just feeling justified and just running on in the anger that they have. Here's, here's the bottom line. Anger is reactionary. You know, Jonah's reacting to the things that are going on around him. And do you know something about Jonah from this story? He's missing the most important thing that's happening. Because he, he just wants to die twice. And he just wants this plan. 
What happened to Jonah? God broke Jonah's law. That's what he did. God broke Jonah's law and Jonah was angry. Jonah, in the words of James, is not quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, is he? And in doing so, he misses out on what's going on. James says in James 1 verse 20 that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's something that we really need to hear from the text today because when you're angry, you think you're doing something constructive. But you know what? It doesn't do what you want it to do. Some of you today struggle with anger. It's probably almost all of us. You need to hear this today. Your anger, hear me, your anger does not help. It just doesn't help. It doesn't help you, and it doesn't help anyone else around you to live the kind of life that God wants them to live. It hurts people, it sets up fearful mechanisms, it leads to people distancing themselves from each other relationally, it sometimes leads to physical hurt, broken families, murder, both personally, and physically, you know, one of the realities about anger, folks, is you can you can try and resolve it, but who knows that anger leaves a mark? And many of you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. Anger leaves a mark. And it leaves a mark long after whatever is being reconciled is being reconciled. We are not the hope when it comes to anger. We're not some kind of superhero that's going to come in and fix everything up again. You know, one of the realities with the Hulk is, is uh, you get something good out of him, but you also get a whole bunch of collateral damage. You know, there's like three skyscrapers that are now leveled because of Hulk. But yeah, he saved the day. And you kind of go, is, is it a good thing? And you kind of go, oh, okay, net good. Which means we, we kind of just, we're just uneven in terms of uh, the good and the bad, the, the good slightly ahead. But with us, folks, who knows that when we get angry, it's almost always loss. It's not a net gain, it's a net loss. And then you have to clean up after the mess. You know, in some ways, I think Hulk is styled on the lower parts of human nature, isn't it? The desires of the flesh, that we can have the freedom and the power to do whatever we please. Someone irritates us, we can punch them in the nose and they're going to go straight through that skyscraper and the next one. You see, it actually, I think it plugs into this whole idea that the, the daily and the moral law uh, switch over. Hulk kind of plugs into that because it's like, yeah, wouldn't we love to just do that? Wouldn't we love to be like God, have God-like power and give people their commandments? He's with me. I feel like that, right? Oh, if I just had the power to do what I wanted to do right now, we could have a lot of fun. Maybe not them, but I would. I would have lots of fun. Let's stop for a moment. Stop for a sign and 
for me. Who, who grows up to want to be like Hog? Who, who in their same moments when they're not angry goes, Hog is my hero and I want to be like him? I want to be someone who gets so angry they lose it and they trash a whole bunch of stuff to do some good things in the process. See, you look at Hog and you go, that is not grown up. Don't you? That is not grown up. It is not maturity. That is not being truly human. That is something else. That's the amazing kind of thing about some of these uh, Marvel superheroes. You've got Captain America, who's like this quintessential good guy. And then Hulk, who just gets so angry, he loses it and trashes a whole bunch of stuff. And they're on the same team together. It's interesting. And this, I think, gets to the heart of what James is talking about in James 1, verse 19 to 21. This, this is the question I think James is asking. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person does God want you to be? Stop for a minute and think about it. You, um, you're going to die, unless Jesus comes back. Sorry to break the news there. But you're going to die, and um, you may have something that looks like this. Um, and just imagine that someone writes something on your tombstone about you. What, what do you want to have written on your tombstone? Peter was an angry, irritable guy. Peter always had his cranky pants on. Peter was better at most than the silent treatment. Peter was quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to get angry. Peter was a loud mouth. He didn't care about what was going on around him, and he was a firecracker. Peter always had a spare pair of cranky pants on under his normal pants just in case he needed them. Yeah, hopefully, it's, it's possible that some of you have had some crappy maintenance get the church today, right? But assuming that we're all in a pretty sane spot, right? Would you want any of those things to be put on your gravestone? Is that, is, that, is that how you want to be known? Is that the kind of person that you want to be? See, I don't think anyone wants that. No one wants to be known as the angry person. And this very reality highlights the fact that anger is reactive. It reacts. It's not like it's a planned thing. You know, it's not like you sat in the kitchen at the dining room table and you saw the bit of Lego and you went, I am going to go and stand on that and then get really angry. You can go. It just kind of happened. Now, what's significant about that? What's significant about that is if you don't plan for it, you'll need to plan... But not be it. It's not very good English, but I'm just going with that one. You with me? You don't plan for it, but you need to plan to not be angry. And this is what James is helping you with. Now, we might go back to this slide. 
what kind of person do you want to be? And just go, oh, I'm not sure that's what James is saying. He's actually saying, what kind of person does God want you to be? Well, the person that God has in mind for you is actually a really good person. It's a mature person. It's a grown-up person. And you just want to be that person. His ideas are always, always good. Now, we had a roundtable discussion at some of the So I came out one night this week and I said to the lads, I said, all right, I need you guys something to write my Alright, so I'm just going to read something and we're just going to have a, have a yard about it. Now, here's, here's what was significant about this is uh, whenever you're dealing with Proverbs, right, I think Proverbs in general, you ought to be able to just sit down and have a roundtable discussion about why it's wise. Alright, and you should be able to do it with kids. That's the nature of, of wisdom. It's like you sit there and you go, yeah, I can see the wisdom in that. So what I did is I said, right, I'm going to sit down and and we're just going to, I'm going to tell you three things James says that you should do. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell me why it would be good to do that. What is James onto? What is he seeing that's really important in terms of just common kind of wisdom, right? So let me tell you what the boys kind of chipped in. And Ange chipped a couple in too, but this is basically the lads. Here's, here's the first thing. I said, right, quick to hear why is that important? Why is that good? Well... Um, they said, uh, everyone needs help. If you're not quick to listen, you won't get the help you need. Yeah? That's good. Why should you be quick to hear? Well, you need to listen well so you know what is happening around you. There's been people like that, right? This is the other thing I said. Well, you learn by listening. So we want to be people who are quick to listen. I thought, oh man, that's a good start. Right? And I would encourage you, just as a side note for any parents, just grab some Proverbs out of the book of Proverbs and just, metaphorically speaking, just lay them on the table when you're having dinner and ask the kids why they think it's wise. Why is it good? I think you're meant to be able to have those kind of conversations. Here's the second thing that James says. Why um, conversation with, this came up next. Why is it good to be slow to speak? Well, retaliating always makes the problem worse. Doesn't it? There's more chance that you'll um, that you'll speak out of emotion and anger if you speak quickly. Now, here's, this is a good one. I really like this one. It's easy to say dumb things when you speak quickly. Isn't that true? Now, I'm not saying my kids are legends. I love them. I think we all can sit down and have a roundtable discussion and work out why these things are good. It's the nature of wisdom. What about this one? Slow down anger. Getting angry quickly creates lots of enemies quickly. True? Adding anger to the problem only makes it worse. Your vision is clouded when you're angry. This one, this is probably my favourite. When anger rises more slowly, there is a greater chance it will be righteous. Quick anger is almost always about us. I'll rephrase that a bit, but that was basically what the lads were saying. It's true, right? It's true. So let me revisit the question here and I'll wrap this, wrap this up. How do you become the kind of person that James says you need to be? 
I think we read James 1, 23. Therefore, put away all filthiness, so that's external ground, filthy clothes, staining money. You've got to take something off. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There is an abundance of wickedness and filth in all of us and God's working that out of the system, but we still have it. And James is saying, put it off, put it off. And, and what, is, what does James say? He says, I want you to hear this, be a good receiver. What a contrast to anger. What a contrast to being quick to speak. What a contrast to being slow to listen. Be a good receiver. Listen. Be slow to speak, slow to anger. Be meek. Have self-control. Receive good words. Powerful words. Words from God that can change you. Let those words go right down in and hit the bottom. You know, what James is talking about here in verse 21 is uh, God planted truth in you when you were saved. He wrote his law upon your heart. And what he's, what he's uh, calling upon you to do is to continually receive that. To keep receiving the kind of thing that God has planted inside of you. To keep receiving his truth, his word to you. Be a good listener. Now, I like to think from all different angles. I like to think about the practical ramifications of things. I like to think about apologetic truths that support, uh, sorry, apologetic arguments that support uh, the truthfulness of things. Uh, I like to think about the underlying philosophical ideas and how they intersect with culture. I kind of do that. I don't read fiction books. I think it's just a complete waste of time because uh, I just don't like reading that much, but I read lots and I read kind of heavy books. I like to analyse things. I like to think about things. And I'll just say to you, and if you come again, oh man, uh, that's, that's probably going to be a bit heavy. Well, sometimes it is. There's not a whole lot of empty paddocks in my head when I'm reading. Alright? There's like a fair bit of stuff going on at that point in time. And a little while ago, someone from the church here, Daryl, Pengelly uh, gave me a couple of Max Licato books. He was a Max Licato reader. I was an avid Max Licato reader when I was uh, quite a bit younger. Uh, used to be a massive fan, but I think I, I kind of I feel like I kind of moved on a bit. I'm not sure what happened there. But he gave me these books, and like you just I appreciate you giving books, right? I'm just just like you know, you know everyone's got books that they think the pastor should read. So. It's fine to give them, give the books, right? We just don't expect them to be read in like three weeks. People kind of give you a book sometimes and they go, how'd you go? And it's like, uh, yeah, yep, I've read the card. <laughs> and I'll get to it. My dad was the last one to read that actually. How'd you go that book? And I said, yeah, no, it's, no, I haven't read it. Yeah, I'll get to it. So these books sat there for a little while and then I began reading one. And I decided when, because I, I know Max Licato, I know Max Licato's solid, he's lighter, but he's solid um, theologically. And you know what I decided when I started reading this Max Licato book is I'm going to switch off most of my brain. Because my heart was, I just wanted to receive. 
And sometimes it can be, for me, like, I like to analyse stuff and think, critical thinking and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, sometimes you just need to receive. And I did. I received. I finished the first book. Uh, it was called You'll Get Through This. Then I moved on to the second book, which is called Plus. And it was interesting because every time I, I turned up to, um, to be with Jesus for about 10 minutes when I was reading this Mastercard book, I would just switch off most of my brain and just say, what does Jesus actually want to say to me? I'm not going to critique it. I'm not going to analyse it. I'm not going to think about the background to it. I'm not going to think about what I could do with it. I'm not going to do any of that. It's just like, what can I actually receive? Now, some of you go, what's he saying? Is he saying you seem to not think about stuff? Not on your life, right? But sometimes you can overthink things. And you should just slow down a bit and just receive from the Lord. Then I hit chapter 10 in this book called Grace. And the, uh, the title of the chapter is uh, Chosen Children. I didn't, I didn't even, there was, a, there was a page that just had a quick summary statement of what the chapter was about. The next page had like four quotes, the first two were scripture, and the other two were wise Christian people. And do you know something? I didn't even get past the first scripture quote on that next page. You know what it was? King James says, He hath made us accepted in the beloved. And I stopped and I said, that, that is amazing. Who's the beloved? The beloved is Jesus. And God, through Jesus dying on the cross, joins me to Jesus. And he, before I was joined, he was always and always will be the beloved. And I just sat there and I chewed on his chin. That means I'm beloved. If I get stuck to the beloved. That means I'm beloved. Ricardo went on in the chapter talking about the true story of an eight-year-old orphan boy who was sent on a train across the US from east to west with 200,000 other orphans in an effort to find them homes. And they had these interviews with people where these people would decide whether they would adopt these children as their, as their own. This kid, this eight-year-old kid in particular that Ricardo was talking about, um, had a letter from his biological father. He couldn't have him anymore. And had his biological father's name and details on it so that someday he could actually get back in contact with him. He went to sleep on the train and woke up and was gone. And never seen him again. And Ricardo, at one point in time, he goes, you know, I wish I could tell you that this young kid Somehow, somewhere in his life, his dad came after him and found him and adopted him. So he didn't. He said, but yours did. Yours came looking for you. Yours adopted you into his family. And he told the story about how this kid gets adopted by this family. Finds two fathers. Why? Because the, the mother and father that adopted him loved Jesus. And this kid talks about and 
And like I like writing, this kid talks about it. And this kid says himself, I, I got two dads. And what's Peter doing on his readings? Well, frying to make an habit of my leg next time. And be on my best behavior. Why? Because the same old thing that got people that got Peter over the line way, way, way back when he was 16 was happening all over again. The truth of Ephesians chapter 1 that God adopts me into his family, and I am loved with the beloved. What was happening? Peter was receiving the implanted word. And it was just dropping down to a deeper level than what had happened before. Here's how Ricardo finishes the chapter. To live as God's child is to know at this very instant that you are loved by your maker, not because you try to please him and succeed or fail to please him and apologise, but because he wants to be your father. Nothing more. All your efforts to win his affections are unnecessary. All your fears of losing his affection are needless. You can do no more to make him want you than you can to convince him to abandon you. You hear that? The adoption is irreversible. You have a place at his table. See, you have to just keep revisiting the word that saved you. The word that got into your life and, and brought about faith in you. You have to slow down. You have to be the kind of person who isn't quick to speak and slow to listen and quick to become angry. You want to be a listener. Because if you are a listener, do you know what's going to happen? God will say sweet things to you. But if you're obsessed about being the talker and setting the agenda and squaring things up, you're going to miss the things that he says to you that make you the kind of person he wants you to be. Had I read stuff like my car was running and that's that I've read it before? Yeah. Heaps of times. I preached through Ephesians chapter 1 about being an adopted child of God. But do you know something? I needed to receive. I needed to slow down. I needed to be a good listener and let God wash over me again with the truth of who he was and how he saved me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you do that? Do you slow down enough? We're going to talk about this some more next week, but do you slow down enough and, and read scripture that way? Really personal. Kind of the worship team. We came up just gonna sing it and then we'll be back. There's an old hymn. I'm gonna read this old hymn just as the worship team comes up. Uh, does anyone remember this one? Tell me the old old story. Tell me the old old story of unseen things above. Of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply as to a little child, for I am weak and weary. 
and helpless. I tell them to do this. And helpless and defiled. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story slowly. That I might take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often. For I forget so soon. The early dew of morning has passed away at noon. Tell me the story softly with earnest tones and grave. Remember, I'm the sinner whom Jesus came to save. Tell me the story always if you would really be in any time of trouble a comforter to me. Tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. And when the Lord's bright glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story Christ Jesus makes thee whole. Amen? It has to stay rich. It has to stay deep. It has to get right down. That's what James is talking about. Let the truth of who God is, let him speak to you. Let it, like a vending machine, you put the coins in, you hear it drop into the box at the bottom, let it drop all the way down. And maybe even today as we sing, let me just encourage you to reflect on that point in time where you came to faith. You start to love Jesus, you realize he was your rescuer, he was your father. Reflect on that and sing out of that. Sing out of that, that heart.